Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, I'm excited to talk to class of 2011's Navy Lieutenant Christopher Fan, U.S. Navy Nursing Corps and doctoral anesthesiology candidate. Lieutenant Fan will share with us how he combined his knack for biology and medicine with sincere ambition and pride to serve his country. Joining us from the class of 2011 is Christopher Fenn. Chris, tell us what you do. Uh, hey, Mr. Turnbaum. Uh, I'm going to have to say uh, this disclaimer that I usually have to say before. Um, the views of this po- uh, that I say in this podcast are of my own and do not represent um, the views of the U.S. government, the United States Navy, the Department of Defense, nor the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences. Uh, Mr. Turnbaugh, I am uh, currently in the Navy. I'm a, a lieutenant in the United States Navy Nurse Corps, but I'm currently attending um, the Uniformed Services University um, as a doctoral um, student in nurse anesthesia. Cool. So, Chris, I seem to remember from your time at WeGo, you were always, I, I seem to remember the momentum for you was that you were going to go into the medical field. So I was wondering if you can tell me what was your first first destination uh once you left WeGo? uh yeah funny thing uh, i got uh, kind of like after WeGo, I, I didn't really know what i wanted to do like towards my senior year um i knew it was like i was interested in healthcare after taking uh human anatomy with dr murphy and i kind of had an interest in the, uh, the human body and i was really really good at that and i knew it was like something science slash health based was probably a thing but I was kind of really burnt out after high school, like going through high school. Um, but uh, after I actually wanted to enlist in the Marines at first and because I knew I wanted to serve uh, in some capacity um, coming out of high school. But my parents were really uh, objective of that and wanted me to go to college. Um, so I kind of heard them out. Um, I went to uh, UIC. So I applied to UIC. I applied for one school and one school and that was UIC. I got accepted into that. Um, and at that point, I was just kind of in a phase where I was like, all right, um, I'm taking my gen eds class. I don't know if I want to go pre-med or, or pre-nursing or, or what. So I took gen eds, and, but I knew I kind of wanted to do something in the healthcare field. So I was trying to check off general, edu- uh, general eds for, that would qualify for both um, in case I kind of figured out what split I want to go down into. Um, so that's where I kind of found myself afterwards. Um, what were what was your time like at UIC? How did you like to, going to school in the city? And what were some of your favorite classes? Uh, going to school in the city uh, was was definitely rough because um, I commuted uh, my first two years. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I took the not night. easy. No, it was not. Uh, so uh, the UIC is, is is a heavy commuter based school because it's in the city, and a lot of people commute in to uh, to school. Um, so I would take the, uh, I was still living back at home. I would take the, the Metro out to the city. So that was like about an hour, uh, 45 minutes, an hour, and then take the bus from the Metro station to UIC. So out of my day, that was a good two hours that I would, I would lost. I, I've lost to pretty much sleep of sleep or I would try to catch up on sleep during those times. Um, so that was kind of hard, but the school has definitely changed, um, since I've been there. Uh, it's re- it's renovated, it's reamped. Um, this, the education I got was great. Um, I think for the price where I got it too, um, was 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 phenomenal. And one of the, the classes I liked was because of Dr. Murphy. That you know, I don't know if he's still teaching there. I hope he still is. He's a phenomenal uh, teacher. But it was human anatomy. I think the things that I learned in that class really helped me um, carry help carry over into my success in taking human physiology. 
what what was your because I, I i would imagine that when you're in a class like physiology and, and all that what was your i mean because at some point you have to be comfortable with actually handling the body of another individual be it the cadaver or actually when you were working with a patient and all that what were some of the ways in which you were able to kind of find that that zone of comfort when you had to actually interact with another body uh at first so um when we started with uh, human anatomy in high school it was doctor it was like we were dealing with cats so that was a little strange for me but then once, you know, uh, it was dealing you know, once you kind of got your hands on the cat, it was kind of like, you just gotten used to it. So I kind of had to apply, uh, you know, had that setting uh, with when I got to college was, it was really weird going into the cadaver lab and working on these cadavers and, you know, learning off of them. And it was, it took a while, but eventually by I think the second or third session, it was pretty much like second nature, like, like it just it just becomes second nature uh, like uh, you just don't really think about it um uh, you think more about it as, as an opportunity to learn um an opportunity to use this time uh um to kind of soak in the knowledge that that uh, that is you know right in front of you and also to, to appreciate the fact that some of these um um these these people donated their their body to science and that's what they they wanted uh, for for you know for you to do is to use this opportunity to, to, you know, to advance um, your knowledge and advance possibly, you know, you know, medicine or uh, science-based engineering in the future. Do you remember like what class it was where it all kind of clicked together? You're like, yeah, no, I made the right decision. Uh, um, to, in, the, in regards to right decision in the sense of like, uh, that fact I went to college or that I chose a, a fact I attracted to healthcare. Healthcare. Um, healthcare, I think it, it all clicked when I, I think after I had applied to nursing school. So the only, again, like I applied to USC. USC is my only school I applied to. And then at this certain point, I kind of just wanted to um, apply to one school and see and test my luck and see if I, I was able to get in. So I think at the time I, I was applying, I was a volunteer at the Central DuPage Hospital and I was a volunteer. I was just looking at and just watching how the doctors interacted with the patients, how the nurses interacted with the patients and how the patient care techs interacted with the patients. And I think I, when I was a volunteer, I, I, that kind of clicked it for me um, is the fact that, you know, I want to be somewhere in, in the healthcare field. And I think at the time, because of, um, uh, you know, I was just, I didn't know if I was really at, uh, if I wanted to dedicate another, you know, four more years after my four to eight more years after um, my uh, bachelor's to get a doctor, uh, you know, to get a doctorate, um, to go to medical, you know, to go to medical school. I think I chose nursing at that time it was for that reason. Um, and um, so that's that's when it clicked for me um, at that point. And I think also when I after uh, uh, that kind of collect, I applied to only one school, like I mentioned, and that was UIC's nursing, and I got in. <laughs> That's so exciting. Now, you so you did your, like, you know, for teachers, we do our student teaching, we go to a particular school. Is that similar with, with the nursing program? Do you go to one hospital do you, and you do, like, certain rotations because in various different um, settings in the hospital, like maybe you might do orthopedics, emergency and recovery. Like what's, what's the, uh, the, the session of, of how you learn when you're in, in that kind of student teaching or that kind of like, uh, uh, apprentice like mode when you're in, as an undergrad in the nursing program. Yeah. I, I, I remember, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if this was covered in, uh, cause I know you covered a, lo a lot of legal grads that became, become nurses and doctors. Um, and that's, I'm glad to see that. Um, but in my experience from what UIC offered was, uh, we definitely all, our class had different out rotations to different facilities. Um, and so if I had an, an OB, you know, mother baby rotation, I was, I went up to North shore, um, while some of my other classes might have gone to another, uh, hospital site that our university had affiliations or had, um, contracts to. Um, and we all had different experiences. Um, uh, some might have better experience than the others, since that's, you know, some of that might have shaped, uh, I don't know, what track that we chose to pursue in the nursing field. 
but yes, um, uh, different type of um, rotations uh, offer different things. So I was at UIC's hospital for med surge, and uh, while I when I went to North Shore for my OB rotation, um, I, I did rota different rotations to different um, uh, for different specialties in the nursing field, and I'm going to be doing that too. Um, and starting August, when I when I start my uh, clinicals for um, or my residency is what we we calling it now down here, uh, my residency for um, anesthesia will be rotating to different sites uh, for different rotation uh, for different specialties. So when I go down to do ER anesthesia, I'll do I'll go to a specific hospital for that. Um, if that hospital doesn't have, if I, while I need cases for. Um, pediatrics, I'll go to and then my current hospital can't support it. I'll go to a hospital that um, the Navy has contracted um, to do my pediatric stuff. So, so you, oh yeah, yeah. So you, so you, so then you finish at UIC, and then you, you could if you if you graduate the nursing degree, but you decided that you wanted to to keep going with the Navy. What was your decision to then uh, enlist? Um, so currently, so. Uh, I wanted, I knew that I felt guilty after coming out of high school and not enlisting, um, enlisting straight out like some of my, my friends did. And I felt a really heavy guilt because I really wanted to serve. And the reason why I wanted to serve is because my parents were both war refugees um, from Vietnam. And I felt like this, um, this country has given us so many uh, opportunities and liberties that have allowed them to live out their American dream. And I've noticed that it's not just my family, it's families and many others that have been able to do this. I felt like I, I had a duty to kind of pay back our country for, the, for those liberties uh, and to kind of preserve those liberties afterwards. So I kind of felt um, ashamed that I was, I, I did not enlist at, at going out of college, um, after high school and I went to college instead. Um, and I applied for uh, uh, an ROTC scholarship, a Navy ROTC scholarship. And I, I figured out the Navy because I was like, you know what? If I can't serve, if I can't enlist in the Marines, like I want out of high school, I can at least serve alongside them and take care of them in the Navy because the Navy, the Marines use the Navy as their medical support. Um, I applied for that scholarship and I got denied, and I was pretty bummed that I got denied that ROTC scholarship. I was pretty, uh, my head was in the in the you know in the gutters for a little bit, and I was kind of bummed out for a while. I tried doing ROTC as a commuter, uh, just a, a non-contract ROTC um, person in the Army uh, as their Army ROTC unit as well as the Navy ROTC unit, bounce between the two. Couldn't really do that as a commuter. Um, and then I found out that uh, there was a, another opportunity for me to, uh, to commission through uh, as an officer um, through, uh, through a different program. There's so many there's so many commissioning opportunities that you can, that there is available for both uh, medical providers, doctors, nurses, PAs, um, you name it, optometrists, dentists. There's so many There's so many opportunities to commission through different types of scholarships that the military does offer um, uh, for you to serve. So I found out, I found one commissioning route and um, that's uh, through that route I applied and I went through those, those uh, you know, the application process and the screenings. I found out I got selected. Um, so what's the, what's the screening process like? I mean, that, I mean, I'm wondering, you know, that you must have been here. You are a, a college graduate. You have this attractive degree with with in medicine and nursing. D did they did the uh, did the Navy and the Marines did they make you feel like a, a first round draft pick the way that they were trying to kind of bring you in? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I, when I applied, it was just like you're just applying with like anyone else here. I, I went to one of the, the top nursing schools for their graduate programs at the time. And obviously apply, it, it definitely does help. They, they look at your high school GPA. They look at, they look at everything. Mm -hmm. They look at your high school GPA, look at your high school extracurriculars, what you've done um, uh, since high school, after high school and all that stuff. So uh, like in my college GPA, of course, as well. And so they look at all of that. Um, I, had a decently strong package going in with my letter of recs that I, um, I've, I, I, you know, was able to fortunately get from um, some college professors as well as some high school instructors from WeGo 
Um, so, you know, if any students are out there, you know, keep contact with your teachers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was able to, to build a strong package. Um, and um, I, I definitely was not like, probably not a first round draft pick, I, I have to say, but um, I, they told me that I had a good chance of, of getting selected. But um, at the time, um, the, the selection process is they look at your resume, they look at your, you had to build a CV. Obviously, coming out of high school, I didn't really know how to build a CV. Coming straight out of college, I was, didn't really have that experience. Um, they look at your CV, they look at your resume, they look at um, your writing um, abilities um, through a personal statement. Uh, they do interviews. You, they do, obviously, you had to do a formal background check to be a commissioned officer. So they look at um, a very extensive uh, uh, background interview for clearance, security clearance. Um, uh, and obviously, they're looking at your moral character for a lot of the things as well. So then, so once you, you get into the program, where's the first stop for you? So you leave, was it, did you go to Great Lakes up in uh, North Chicago? Or what, what's the first destination once you get into, uh, when you when you enlist? So I think oh, one of the things too is, um, um, so the, and when a lot of, a lot of uh, personnel that go into the military either so the, a lot of things is if they enter if they go out of straight out of high school they enlist as the enlisted grades um and if you go to college first and, and are able to secure a spot or you go to college first through um any university um through our rtc program or commissioning program or you go to do one of the mil military academies you get to earn a commission and become an officer. So there's different, two different type of pay grades there. So there's the enlisted side and there's also the officer side. Um, I was able to pick up an officer contract or officer commissioning. Um, so after I had gotten selected, I found I got selected um, after I got, let's say this, I got, I went to UIC nursing, I uh, got accepted to UIC nursing, found out I got in the middle of my nursing program, I got selected for this uh, commissioning program after the commissioning program, um, they they told me, "Hey, you, right, we're going to select you for a commission, but you have to graduate." Um, and if, uh, so, I graduated. Uh, after I graduated, I earned a commission um, in the United States Navy. Um, once I earned a commission, uh, I went from Chicago. I went to Newport, Rhode Island, um, which is uh, one of the the officer schools that uh, you can go to. Um, and that's where Navy OCS is held, um, Officer Navy, uh, Navy Officer Candidate School, and Navy uh, Officer Development School. Officer Development School is for specialty um, jobs like doctors, nurses, lawyers, um, uh, bioengineers, and that type of thing. So that's where uh, uh, I went to school after straight after college. What are the types of kind of things that have to be standard in your training obviously there's going to be a very heavy academic but what's the you know when when you enlist in the navy there has to be a kind of a, a physical component that you're able to meet that threshold did you have to what's the type of what's a is there a, what's the physical training like for that if any uh, yes yeah, so physical training um uh, officer so there's two schoolhouses like again like i mentioned officer development school and officer candidate school uh, officer candidate school is uh if you if you can think about it as you have Marine Corps drill instructors, have, have like how to say it is, uh, you have Marine Corps drill instructors screaming in your face, getting in your face, waking you up, like, um, and you know, going running you through the rigors. Um, Officer Development School was a little bit a little bit more uh, a little bit more toned down because we were <laughs> the specialty um, the specialty uh, jobs where you know. We were the dentists, the nurses, and the doctors, and we, we, you know, we, we, you couldn't, you couldn't get these uh, us injured because we have skill sets that the, that the military needs. Like you can't get the doctor, the surgeon, to injure his hand doing a PT. Ah, uh, good um, point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So they took that into account, but regardless of the fact, we, um, we still had. We still we still had to meet this uh, the requirements of passing the, the standard minimum or the standard uh, not the minimum but the standard of uh, of Navy physical training. Um, so we woke up every day at 4:30, made sure that our racks were made, we made sure that we were sh clean shaved, uh, we got in our uniforms, our physical training uniforms, 
um, made sure that we were outside in formation and ready to go to to start running, to do start doing push ups, sit ups, um, uh, team builder ex- team building exercises um, before the sun came up. Um, so that that's what the physical training aspect of things looked like. And while we did that, and the OCS class did that too. So both schoolhouses were doing that at the exact same time. Was there any difficulty in the adjustment going from? a college student into the officer training? Like what, what was, was there a, a difficult transition? Like, was it, I mean, when you, when you say wake up at four 30 in the morning, I shiver <laughs> when I hear, hear something along those lines, you know, but like, what was the, uh, what was the thing that, uh, that you maybe initially had the most uh, difficulty time adjusting to, but then were able to kind of find the right, right uh, balance with. Yes, definitely waking up at 4.30 in the morning was something that was I had to get used to. Um, and that was probably the, the biggest adjustment was waking up at 4.30, but also waking up in the fact that you're in a room no larger than the size of probably a janitor's closet um, with another roommate, with a hatchmate. Um, and you're sharing this, uh, you know, these closed, these closed spaces, but you're doing, making things, you know, making things work. Um, you have, there's two uh, two racks in there there's two, two closets in there and there's two desks in there and so that's also one thing to you to get adjusted to as well as like i i had my own room at back at home um and i now had to get accustomed to making sure that you know uh, i'm able to live in the hatch with the with a with a hatchmate um and you know working as a collective community to to make sure things functioned we made sure that things were clean um, around the, our um, our hall and our deck. Um, uh, yeah, waking up, but definitely waking up was probably one of the things that I had a uh, time to adjust to. I had, a, and as well as you know, well, living with someone else, but also trying to live, uh, trying to work as a team. Dude, you're pretty much with these people twenty four seven. And it was different from college because I, I lived in the dorms in college, but it was nothing like this. Um, you know, you're doing every, you see these people in day, day in, day out, every minute, and you're, you know, eating at the same facilities, um, going to the same class at these facilities, um, and during the suck, <laughs> I'd say, it, with, uh, yeah. with uh, the same people. So it builds camaraderie as well, but it's hard, but it's also a, a rewarding feeling that, you know, everyone's in this together. When you're in the officer's training, you're not working on anything with medicine yet it's just purely the curriculum would be the types of things that an officer needs to know or are you also have your foot in things in the medical field at the same time are you doing both at the same time or is it you just uniquely just officer training um with those that type of um uh, coursework so yeah with what the commission with the, especially with being in the healthcare if you're being if you're planning to be on the healthcare provider in the military they um they, they let you do what you need to do first. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is um, the commissioning program I went through, um, they wanted you to make sure that you got your skills as, as what your profession was going to be first. So I, they were like, all right, you're going to go to school, uh, become a nurse, be good, you know, figure out and like, learn to be a nurse. Once you get that down, um, obviously by the time, you know, when, when you graduate, you're not really still, you're still trying to figure out, you know, how to be a good nurse, but, in the Navy's eyes is, all right, you got the, edu- the formal education you need. We're going to take you for a little bit and teach and grow you as a Naval officer. So at the time when I went to my training, um, th- it was all that, that those during, those during that time was l- learning how to drill, learning how to, uh, how to march, learning how to salute, learning formal customs and courtesies, uh, learning how to PT, um, learning uh, how to counsel, uh, you know, uh, members in the military uh, correctly and, and and all that stuff so at the t- um, during the, my formal training it was the, it was all officer focused slash military focused at the time um, other programs like other commissioning programs is, is different if you go through an ROTC unit in, in, in a, a university you're going to learn to do both at the same time and learn to become a um, you know your job uh, as well as you're going to be learning um, officership as well and that's as well as, as the academy too. Any of the service academies, you're going to be learning um, how to become an officer, as well as learning, uh, you know, your 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 course, your curriculum, uh, 
at the academies. Chris, did you, is there a way to describe, did you learn how to study differently or more efficiently once you went into officer training versus the way you studied when you were at UIC? What, what would you say was a, uh, perhaps a, 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 an upgrade or a different way of approaching your coursework from one setting to the next? Um, I'm a creature of habit. So uh, one of the things I found out in high school is I, I just looked at PowerPoint slides and notes and there's PowerPoint slides and whatever I wrote on the, those PowerPoint slides. And I just looked at them repetitively. Like I'd go through them cycles. And I did the same exact thing when I went to officer training school. We had things that we had to remember. We had to learn uh, the Marine Corps hymn, uh, hymn and as well as um, the creed and all that stuff. So I, it was all repetition for me. So a lot of the things that I learned in high school, a lot of those habits, I carried over um, uh, to officer training um, as well as what I'm currently doing now. Um, so I think one of the things I have to say is you know, your, your habits that you build early kind of carry over. But then again, a lot of my classmates I know, um, they have adjusted and fine-tuned, but you got to find what works for you. You have to, and you're going to find out what, what does work for you just through time. You start off as a, of a naval officer, you start out as a private or a cadet, like, and then you go, cause you are currently a Lieutenant. What's, what was the, 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 the ratcheting up and the laddering up of your uh, particular field? Yeah. So. Uh, the Navy does look a little different compared to the Marine Corps and the Army and the Air Force. Um, uh, so, um, so when, when you mentioned private, private is one of the enlisted ranks, um, and that's an E1. Um, and for an officer, uh, we we go. Uh, I start off as an ensign, uh, an ensign uh, in the Navy, and then I, from there, that's that's an ensign is an O1. And then we have also Lieutenant Junior Grade, which is the next rank up, as opposed to, for example, um, the other service branches uh, you have, um, the, as in the Army, the Marine Corps, and the Air Force, they have second lieutenant, which is their 01. So I'm going to clarify this. So the ensign in the Navy is an 01, a second lieutenant in the other service branches is also an 01. And then uh, a first lieutenant and the other service branches is equivalent to a lieutenant junior grade in the Navy. And then a captain in the other service branches is equivalent to the, uh, a Navy lieutenant uh, or an O3. Um, that's that's uh, the, the tricky part about the Navy's ranks is uh, we, get a little, we get a little flack sometimes from the other service branches, like, what's your rank? Like, what do we call you? <laughs> Once you once you graduate from from officer training school, then you continued with your 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 medical uh, pursuits. How did you narrow in on anesthesiology? Like, what what was it about that particular field that you you understood? Like, what was it more fascinating? Did it come more easily to you? Um, what why? How did you kind of hone in on that particular part of medicine? Yeah, I think uh, so. After I. I... I graduated officer school. I was as, as an ensign. Um, I, I left Newport, Rhode Island to San Diego and I started the floor off as a staff nurse at um, a cardiac slash cardiothoracic telemetry unit for any of the healthcare providers out there. But um, I started off on the floor um, trying, just trying to figure out how to become a, a nurse, uh, a good nurse at the time. But I knew I, I, I wanted to do something uh, a little bit m- more than just you know be, uh, being a, a floor nurse and that before i had joined the navy i had actually went on underwent surgery and was taken care of by uh, a navy reservist who was an anesthesia provider and uh, i when during that time i knew that's what the track i want to go to so after graduating um officer, uh, officer training school um, and starting off in san diego um, on that floor i knew i had i wanted to pave um, the path towards that direction um, because of the care that I received and um, uh, from that provider. And I wanted to, to, deliver, to deliver that same type of care to my future patients as well. And anesthesia I, um, in the military community it allows me to, to um, do jobs that um, are, form, are ten- tentatively or generally 
uh, close to uh, other type of nurse uh, nursing type of jobs. Uh, what I mean by that, it's a little bit more high off tempo with deployment cycles, um, uh, with deployment type of missions, and that's what I that's what I want, and that's the reason why I joined the military. I didn't join the military to kind of work, you know, stateside in the hospital. Um, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to, to go out and take care of our nation's war fighters. So where exactly are you in the program and when do you anticipate to, uh, to finish? Yes. So I started a year ago. Um, so after San Diego, uh, I went to Guam for a little bit, um, was a critical care nurse out of Guam. And then, so I, I left Guam in March of 2021. And I, that's the next following month was April. I started my program. So I just passed the year. Um, so I'm my first year uh, anesthesia student, and I'm about in August, I'm about to rotate out to uh, Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, to start my residency, and I'll be there for two years, um, jumping in between, uh, jumping from facilities uh, slash different states, depending on what specialty I need uh, cases on, um, and so I'll be doing that for two years, and then uh, I'll be graduating uh, in 2024. So, Chris, does that mean that you, as you're doing your coursework and, and pursuing this, that you can, like, because it's not like at UIC, I'm in at UIC for the, for those years, you, you will be moved around and learning at the same time? Or, I mean, how exactly does the, I guess, coursework or classwork operate when you are, um, when you're in the Navy? Like, can it, does, do you pick up? in that particular course at each one of these different places? Is the work done remotely? What, how exactly does the learning uh, occur? Yeah, so uh, from my understanding of what I have so far, I, I, I have been a rude awakening. I'm gonna learn a lot of the things when I get to um, my, phase, uh, my what we call our phase two sites. I'm in currently in phase one. Uh, when we get to our phase two sites, our residency sites, um, I'll learn what exactly is going to be become of, me, become of me or what is intended for me. But what I generally know is the fact that when we get there, um, we are expected to be continuing to read our, the literature, um, that uh, the textbooks that are provided for us, but as well as we have academic days uh, where we are, uh, have received instructions uh, virtually, as well as we are being constantly, every day is uh, we call an oral board. An oral board is um, uh, a faculty member or staff member at our facility um, will sit us down in an office um, or two of them or three of them and just grill us with questions. Like grill us with just things that we're supposed to, are expected, that we are expected to know as anesthesia providers. Um, and we're expected to, to, to know those, um, uh, to know those answers. And if we don't know them, to, to look them up and get back to them with those answers. And that's not just uh, our my main facility, but any facility I rotate to. So if it's not at Jacksonville uh, Naval Hospital that I'm doing that at, and I'm being rotated out to um, a civilian facility, a civilian uh, site, they're going to do the exact same things too. It's just it's just a standard thing that, that they do in the anesthesia community. Um, but on top of that, we're expected to be also doing research. Um, I'll be doing. Uh, in, in the sense of we're trying to find uh, evidence-based practice research. So we, we're, we're giving presented a, an issue that is currently um, our facility is facing, uh, are facing and we're, we need to look through uh, uh, research li art, uh, literature and articles uh, to find the best solutions to, those, uh, to that problem. So we're, we're gonna be doing that uh, as well as, yeah, like I mentioned previously, um, uh, virtual recordings or virtual lectures. Those scenarios must be kind of really fun to kind of work through because you have to you know, negotiate the data, the scenario and, and all on all that. So Chris, in 2024, what will that your official title be once you're all said and done? Um, so once I graduate in 2024, the, the only thing I really expect my, uh, the change for me is um, I'll be a doctor of nurse practice, um, so DNP. So, uh, and then uh, once I if I pass my boards, I'll be called a, a CRNA, a certified registered nurse anesthetist slash anesthesiologist, depending on which 
uh, phrase you look at. Um, and depending on uh, if the Navy decides to select me, I either go through, I have to send my package in for review uh, to pick up the next rank, um, which is Lieutenant Commander. Um, if I get selected for that, then I'll be Lieutenant Commander Christopher Fan, um, uh, DNP, uh, CRNA, if all of those go through. So that's, that's, that's super, super exciting. Now, how much you're talking about your deployment cycles, it seems like that seems to be kind of planned out for the next few years, more or less. But once you are on the other side of 2024, what how does the deployment cycle go? Like you said that you really want to see yourself in a scenario where you were kind of more forwardly deployed to be closer to where um, the where the Navy may be outside of the country. How much say do you have when you kind of ask for those things versus no, we're going to put you there in such a way? Like what's what's the power of suggestion once you are kind of leaning towards what your uh, potential deployment may be? Uh, so we have a saying in the military called the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, uh-huh. so if you make it known to your leadership what you want to do, they'll tr- they'll try to, to get you there. Um, as you know, as long as you do your work and you know you have your head on your shoulders, and they'll see that. Um, uh, obviously, there are people who don't want to deploy, and that's unfortunate. But it's also uh, you know being in the career field that we're in. But there's also people you know that do want to deploy. As long as you make your intentions known, um, that definitely does help you achieve those um, those goals i guess like I, I really do want to be forward deployed and you know helping um, uh, uh, those war fires on the front lines and doing surgical capabilities on the battlefield um, but you just have to make those known um, those deployment cycles uh, are you know obviously it all depends on our our nation's needs um, but also uh, if you make it if you make it known you, you might you know your name might be dropped in a special community um, I like, for example, like the special operations community has their own, um, their own little niche that, you know, the only, the only way in is by word of mouth. Um, so like, yeah, and like, that's what I'm looking forward, uh, looking forward to is like trying to, uh, you know, work and become a good, uh, good provider in the future and try to work my way up and try to make it known that I want to deploy, I want to do those things. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm hoping that's what I'm hoping for. What are some of the things that you would say are like uniquely fitted for the Navy that you think have helped you grow as a learner, as a young man and all of those things? Like what, what has the Navy been so special to you? I think one of the things I definitely have to say is I have grown and matured in the sense of being able to speak up and work as a team. I think coming out of high school is very timid. Um, and I think after being put in, the, uh, in a leadership position um, in charge of um, enlisted staff and as well as other nurses um, and, uh, and other providers, I, I definitely uh, have grown to kind of project my voice and make my intentions clear because I know that if it is not clear, um, catastrophic things may happen. Uh, mm. Operational uh, situations may, may falter. Um, so you, uh, I, I, that's one thing that I have learned is, as well as time management skills, um, is kind of you know, grow, be that have that leadership voice, and that's what they're expected of you. That's what that's what is what is expected of you. That's the reason why you, you earned your commission, um, and that's why they gave it they gave it to you, uh, or you earned it in you know, in that type of sense. It's interesting because you, I mean, I've, I've had this conversation with uh, other students who have gone into the medical field, but you have another layer in terms of the types of communication skills where you have mentioned that as a leader in that kind of officer role, but then you also have that type of other communication need, which is how you serve your patient and kind of draw out the type of information that you need from them and all the other people that are in the room at that time when you're trying to give them the proper care with that. I was wondering, Chris, if how, how did you how, how did you kind of steal yourself for the type of um, uh, I guess 
maybe uh, kind of medical scenarios that you see, you're, you might be witnessing people that are in pain and all that. And that's not something that a lot of people can stand because they get very, they, they don't, they're not ready to maybe kind of hold on to or confront the types of pain when you're looking at your patients, especially if they're coming to you in this kind of traumatic setting. What, how, how are you able to kind of, kind of create that type of clarity when you are in these very high tension moments? Um, in, in these high tension moments, uh, other, you know, it's one of those things is you got to realize that if, if you're not going to do it, someone may not, uh, you know, you might be the, you might be the only person that is able to, to treat that type of pain and only you may be the only qualified uh, type of person that, that is able to treat that pain. Um, so I had looking at it in that type of sense, but also you're doing the best that you can, um, and regard and it might be the fact that you know it, it might be hard for you to do it, but if you do it, it, it might provide that patient some satisfaction, and that's why you're there. Um, that's the type of mindset that I, I kind of have is, um, while you know, it might be hard for me to do this, like it's gonna better it's gonna better this patient or better um, the situation or uh, help me accomplish the mission or. Um, in that type of sense, we uh, it helps also helps is, uh, for example, we go through uh, trauma training, like trauma casualty, uh, what we call TCCC, which is tactical combat casualty care, uh, pretty frequently, and we go through live scenarios of you know patients like simulated patients with uh, amputations, catastrophic amputations through trauma, through wartime trauma, and obviously, uh, uh, those type of trainings. Uh, repetitive trainings, you know, like live simulations with gunfire going off and uh, loud sounds going off. It, it, it is definitely very hard to, to treat a patient in that type of real-time environment, but simulated training does really does help. Um, we like to say practice how, uh, you know, train how you would, um, how you would in, real, in wartime. Um, so I think that, that also does help too. That makes so much sense because, I mean, if, if you would be so rattled by all of the stimulus around there, but if at least you had gone through the muscle memory of knowing what your procedures are and, and what is what's what happens one after the other, that would make a lot of sense. So that, that make that's very, very uh, I could I could see how that works so well. So, uh, Chris, when when do you what's then what's the typical career like i mean do you retire from the navy and and go off into the sunset do you retire and then maybe go off into something else what what's the the, the typical career span for um this particular uh job that you have in the navy uh so it definitely obviously it really does definitely uh, depend on what career field you're in then like uh in the military there's there's Pretty much every occupation that you can think about in the civilian sector that you have, we have as well. Um, from doctors, lawyers, uh, judges, uh, engineers, all that type of thing. And every every job has gives has some type of incentive pay and uh, or some type of contract. Um, for me, after since I'm going to school, uh, my current school, um, uh, my tuition is covered uh, through my a five year obligation uh, extension. So after school is done, I have another five years that I have to commit to the Navy. At that point, it'll put that will put me at about I'm currently seven years in. So by the time two more years, I'll graduate. I'll be at nine. So I'll be at 14 years. Um, that's six more years until uh, I'm qualified to, to retire. So that's what I'm looking at. And that's what a lot of people look at too in the military is where things line up and in their, in their timeline, you know, in their timeline as well as what's going on in their life you know some people once they get to 10 years they evaluate you know is this healthy for my pay is this healthy for my my, my life slash my my family life do i want to get out of the military do i want to stay in um but uh that's usually uh what people do is they usually look at the 10-year mark and they uh, or just before the 10-year mark to evaluate what they want to do um, for me i think about I'm, I'm thinking about staying in um since I'll be at 14 after my first obligate after my obligation for school is done, um, and uh, six more another six more years of doing something that I love doing in the community that I love serving, isn't really um, a thought to me. 
I mean, you're going to be able to see so many cool places. You've already been to so many great places. I wonder if you could take me on a world tour. Where are some of the places that you've served already? Uh, my my uh, my naval uh, career has been kind of really unfortunate with um, uh, timeline span of things. Um, really, I've only been to San. I've been stationed in San Diego. From San Diego, I was stationed on the tropical island of Guam. Which I didn't know where it was when I selected it, but um, but I eventually found out where it was. And from Guam, I, I came here to the the, the DC um, capital region, um, and so I've been uh, been here. I'll be going out to Jacksonville, Florida. From after Jacksonville, Florida, uh, and after school, uh, it really depends on where I'll, where the, the needs of the Navy comes from. Uh, well, where they want to put me next. Um, but I have other classmates that have been to, you know, Italy. They have been to deployed to Afghanistan, deployed to Iraq, um, deployed to uh, many countries in, uh, you know, uh, in Europe and other Euro in Europe countries as well. They've been to uh, on missions to Australia you know, or the Philippines. Um, just and I've also friends that also been uh, that are currently doing humanitarian aid missions on um, mm. the big uh, white ship that we call either uh, the USNS Mercy on the West Coast and the USNS Comfort on the East Coast. Um, and those they, they're doing a phenomenal job of providing humanitarian aid to the countries that don't have um, healthcare uh, facilities or services that we do. If you go uh, outside of the country, would you be based uh, a, uh, a, a, a a base or would you be on a boat like what would be the for your particular specialty um it could be both um, okay so we uh, and uh, you know all of the service branches had their own respective uh facility uh, medical treatment facilities or what we call mts um and they're all different they're all located at different states and different parts um, different parts of the world as well um the navy has we have different mtfs um across um you know all in all continents, uh, pretty much all continents, um, besides Antarctica, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, we have uh, MTFs uh, all over the places, and those are like you know, stateside um, uh, or not stateside, but the brick and mortar type of facilities. We also you know, we also have the, op um, the capabilities of being deployed um, uh, on ships, on so on destroyers, on carriers. Um, we had the, the capabilities also being deployed on, um, uh, and you know, a mobile uh, medical unit, a mobile mobile medical teams. My bad. Um, so those teams are, are working out like pretty much field hospitals, um, working out of a backpack. Um, you know, so oh. you have those surgeons as well. So surgeons are, are, are physicians are, are our physician assistant, uh, assistants can also work on. Uh, um, on submarines, or um, they can also work uh, as the be, being the flight surgeon or the flight doc of a of a, a helo squadron or a, um, or a squadron of, of jets. So the, there's so many opportunities that um, depending on what type what your job is. Wow, that's amazing! That's an incredible range of different places where you could you could do that. That's just incredible. So. Chris, you've been so generous with your time tonight, and I really, really appreciate this. Um, I like asking guests if you could share with us what are some tips for success that you could give current Wildcats. Uh, current Wildcats, one thing I have to say is uh, everything that you do now matters. Um, and what I mean by that is the work havoc, the work ethic that you build right now carries over. Um, you know the grade, the grades that you get now matters. Like, uh, you know, I, I that's one thing I, I had to say is coming from a person who didn't really look, who didn't really want to do anything, anything with education after high school. Um, education is, regardless if it's it's a secondary education in the sense of uh, college or a trade job, I think um, is definitely important for um, you know current Wildcats or just anyone to be educated in some type of field. Um, because that's how, you know, the world revolves. We need we need people to do to do something, um, and uh, so definitely, you know, keep working, keep trying your hardest at, at, at your, um, you know, at just in school. You have so many resources um, in front of you. You have these phenomenal teachers that are willing to come in day in and day out to teach you and provide you education. 
as well as, you know, your high school counselors that are able to guide you in, in you know, where, you know, how to apply to schools or how to apply to colleges, you know, um, as well as you have, um, um, you know, your coaches as well uh, and your teammates to build camaraderie because you're going to be using the same type of camaraderie that on your teams and your high, on your sports teams. It's going to translate over to sometimes your jobs that you'll be doing after, you know, high school. Um, and also, uh, I, I have to say this as well as popularity contests. It doesn't really matter after high school. You don't have to be the most popular guy. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, I didn't get to care about popularity after I graduated. I know that's probably one of those things where it's hard to for for, uh, for high school students to kind of um, want to feel you know to feel popular, be the guy, or be the person that everyone likes. But at the end of the day, once you graduate. You know, you might not see those people again, and you're gonna build. It's all. It's all starts. You know, you start from clean slate after high school. Lieutenant Christopher Fan, uh, on behalf of everyone at WeGo, we thank you for your service. We're excited for all the things that you're going to do to continue to uh, provide incredible service and uh, and care for our our, our sailors uh, in the future. Uh, thank you so much for uh, talking with me today. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me on this podcast, Mr. Turnbull. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V O X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at We Go Places. <laughs>